0: And uh, we're studying the book of Hebrews. So, if you'll turn to the 11th chapter with me. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 again, and then verses 29 through 31, and that is our text. Hebrews 11, verse 1 reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Now skip over to verse 29, 30 and 31. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. One of the big problems we have as Christians in biblical biblical interpretation is intimidation. I mean, when you compare yourself to people in the scripture, it's easy to become intimidated. As a matter of fact, when I come to the 11th chapter of Hebrews and kind of make my way through there, I feel kind of like a little boy walking around in the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, you know, with a baseball cap and a wad of gum in his, in his jaw. Just kind of in awe of the pictures and the stories of these great heroes in, in baseball. And what we're thinking while we're walking through there, some kid, is, you know, man, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could, you know, be like that. I'll never be like that. Oh, you know, they're just kind of in a totally different world from us. I mean, when you come through, you know, and you read through the 11th chapter of the uh, book of Hebrews, it just kind of, you know, takes you back to the, to, the, uh, to the Hall of Fame. Wouldn't it be great if you could live like that? All these people live in a totally different realm from us. Here's a man who loved God so much that he didn't even die. The Lord just took him home with him. And here is a man who built a boat a hundred years before it had ever rained one time. And here is a couple fixing a little basket, covering it with pitch, putting their little boy in it, setting him out on the Nile, confident that God would not let him drown. Let's face it, to read stories like that is to be intimidated, and because of that, there are three things that need to be said right up front. The first is this, that people are people. I mean, we're all the same, and the folks who lived in this time are the same as the as the people who live today. I mean, we're no different. The folks of this store, of these stories, of these scriptures, are people just like us. They doubted more than they believed, and they never got through a day without sinning. When you well, God doesn't separate in His eyes, He doesn't separate. You know, here is a group of super saints, and here's the rest of us, kind of muddling our way through life. I mean, these folks are the same as we. People are people. The second thing that needs to be said is this, that God is God. Now, God is no different today than He was then. He hasn't abdicated any of His authority in life. He hasn't given up any of His power. It isn't true that God was more powerful in the first century than he is today. The scripture says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and yes forever, so that God is God. The third thing that needs to be said is that a miracle is a miracle. It is not true that we live in a day when miracles no longer exist. My friends sometimes try to tell me that these miracles that you read about in scripture were miracles that took place in a certain time, in a certain place for a certain reason that is no longer necessary. Miracles are miracles. Now I went to a Baptist university after graduating, getting my degree from a Baptist university, spending enough time there to get a master's degree, then went to the seminary and got a master's degree, and I can't remember anybody ever telling me, when you get out in life, sun, just remember that you can expect the miraculous to happen. I mean, anticipate living in the realm of the supernatural. I mean, just do what comes supernaturally. Now, I'm not deprecating a, uh, you know, a uh, Christian education at all, but it seems to me that somebody should have told me that what is present and what is true in the first century Hebrews' time is, should be true in the 20th century. A miracle is a miracle is a miracle. Now, what is a miracle? Definition. A miracle is a humanly impossible event that occurs in the material realm apart from natural causes for the glory of God. Now, I need to say that again. I saw one person getting that down, so I want to be sure and get that, let that person get that. A miracle is a humanly impossible event that occurs in the material realm apart from natural causes for the glory of God. Now, there are two things that need to be said about a miracle. One is that miracles defy explanation. Now you spend all day long trying to explain why a miracle occurs and how, you know, that, how that happened. Give the explanation for the miraculous, but the fact is that if you can explain why and how something happened, that's not a miracle. A miracle is something that defies human explanation. And what you finally do with regard to a miracle is just kind of say, I can't explain what happened. I don't really know what happened. Now, it might be well for us just to pause parenthetically to ask, is there anything going on in your life that defies human explanation? Is there anything going on with you for which there are no pat, easy answers or explanations? If they're not, there should be. Second thing that needs to be said about a miracle is this that miracles are rare occurrences. I think we need to underline that. Now, when somebody is, you know, telling you that miracles happen every day and you need to get up and, you know, expect a miracle today, miracles have always been rare. So that when you look through the scripture and you look through religious history, you're not going to find many times where there are miracles, that is, those things that defy human explanation. Now, there are three miraculous events in our text. I want us to look at them right now. I want to read again verse 29 because that's the first miraculous event. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. What tremendous people these people must have been. I mean, these must be powerful men and women and faithful men and women. I don't know about you, I've seen the Atlantic, I've never seen the Red Sea, but I've seen the Atlantic, I've seen the Pacific, and I know what happens when a man steps out into the, you know, into the sea, into the, into the ocean, he sinks. And this says they, these people, pass through the sea as though they were walking on dry land. Through, dry, through the sea on dry land. They must have been tremendous people, fantastic, super saints. Well, who are these people he calls they? I want to show you. So we'll look back in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. Now you need to turn to that. My uh, scholars here on the front row are turning rapidly, looking for Exodus. And we're going to look at the 14th chapter of of this uh, book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus. And we're going to see who they are that he's talking about. I want to find out what kind of folks are the folks that walk in water and becomes dry land. We'll look at verse 10 of chapter 14. You look there with me. And favor, and just remember, by the way, these guys have just come out of the Exodus. They've just come out of Egypt. Before them are the mountains and the desert and the sea, and behind them is the pursuing Egyptian army. So they're really caught, in, they're, they're squeezed in the, in the box canyon. They're trapped between the desert, the sea, and the Egyptians. Verse 10... And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. Now that's that's what I would do. I mean, they panicked. It says, and and the sons of, of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Hebrew is they screamed out, help. That's what I would do. you know. I mean, these, these sound like, this sounds like our kind of folks. It says, then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Sounds like a lot of folks I know complaining to the preacher. I mean, you got us in a jam here. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Now, I don't want you to get the picture, I want you to get the profile of these folks who walked on dry land where once was the sea. There's panic, there's terror, there's absolute hopelessness and despair, there's second guessing, there is grumbling and complaining. Sounds like us, doesn't it? I mean, People of people. And the folks in the first day are the same as in this day. These are our kind of people. People of people. But if you'll look at verse 13, show you something else. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall accomplish for you today, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. People are people, but God is God, and the word is, God will fight for you. Stand still and watch God go to work. And he tells the sons of Israel to move forward, and the walls of the sea were drawn back, and they went across on dusty land. Now, I've seen uh, the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, I went out to Los Angeles one time, and out there I went through one of these tours of, uh, of this uh, Hollywood and they took us out and showed us how they filmed the parting of the Red Sea. Trick photography, I assure you. Because there was just a little old pond of water there. It showed how that they, they brought that, you know, with trick photography. And uh, showed the walls back and folks passing by. There's no way that Cecil B. DeMille can describe this the walls of the water high above man and he walks across on dry land. I want you to believe that God is still the same. And the miracle is still a miracle. Now watch carefully. When I read this, every time I read this, I think about the pressures of life. How that you and I just seem to be pressed on every side, all kinds of pressure. You don't pick up the Daily Democrat today without being aware that these are difficult times. I met with some guys to pray Friday morning. One guy walked in, and this is what he said In times like these, we need an anchor. If there ever was a time when men and women in this community are under tremendous pressure, and we haven't seen the half of it yet, It's this day of our life. There are so many of us who attract financial pressure, emotional pressure to Hebrews chapter 11. If I can find my place there, we'll read verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now we're now on dry land, and we're 40 years ahead in time. And the children of Israel have come to the crossing of the Jordan, and there is before them this citadel of defense called Jericho. Now these people who are facing Jericho are not glorious saints. As a matter of fact, they've just been wandering in the wilderness for 38 years, getting under Moses' skin. I mean, they're really giving him a hard time. Most of them have died in the wilderness, the older folks, and these are younger people who have, who have come from the loins of their parents, these grumblers of the wilderness, and they have seen their parents die. How many funerals Moses and Aaron held out in the wilderness? is You know, no way to count that, and, and, and they have, lost their leader. Moses has died in disobedience and Joshua is now their leader and he's untried. He's never done anything like this before. And you don't cross the Jordan and get into the the land of Canaan without battling Jericho and it's an almost impenetrable defense. Archaeologists tell us that there was a wall around the city of Jericho 30 feet high, 6 feet thick. And then there was a space of 15, 12 to 15 feet between that wall and another wall. And the second wall was 30 feet high and 18 feet thick. Three times the thickness of the first wall. And in this space between there were houses built. That's why in a moment you'll see that Rahab's house itself said was built upon the wall. It was in this space between the first wall and the second. And in this city of Jericho was uh, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, and they were pressed into an area of land that was six acres in size. That's about the size of a large city block, isn't it, about six acres? So in this city of Jericho, impenetrable defense were crammed these thousands of people behind these walls, six feet thick, 18 feet thick, 30 feet high. Now, poised before them, ready to move into the land, was these faithless folks who've wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. Many of them have never been in battle. Now, Let's take a look at them. It's the sixth chapter of the book of Joshua. Now, everybody needs to turn to that. Sixth chapter of Joshua. My scholars on the front row are thumbing through now. i checking, getting that chapter. Sixth chapter, verse one. When you find it, listen. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel no one went out and no one came in and the Lord said to Joshua see I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and the valiant warriors sure you have, I mean can you see that here are these folks there before an un." defeatable foe God said see there I gave you the city and all the warriors Um, Jesus said somewhere I remember that if you when you pray if you believe that you have received it you will receive it it seems like a strange statement that if you believe you have it you have it you will have it if you believe you've got it, you will get it. And he said to them, see, I have given you the city. You know the story. You want to check it out? It's verse 12, verse 20, some of those verses. I will not take time to to read them, but here's how it goes. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to get all the people now, I want you to circle around the city uh, of, of Jericho every day. I want, the, I want the trumpets to blow and I want you to walk around the city. And here are these people in Jericho just watching this strange event. I was out in Glorietta several years ago and, and Jay Winston Pierce was preaching on this and he, everybody, it was Sunday morning, every, it was hot before they got into New York, everybody was sleepy, And he was, uh, you know, kind of droning on. You know, everybody was kind of nodding on. He said, walking around. He's doing this march. He said, heel to toe, heel to toe, heel to toe. He's just doing this march and directly he said, he shouted at the top of his voice, hey! You know, I mean everybody just came up about that high off the seat. Well, he said, now when you walk around this city, I want you to, trumpets the sound, on the seventh day, walk around seven times and shout, Now, I'm not, I'm sure these folks didn't know too much about uh, military strategy, but that seemed pretty weird, even to them. Because people are people, and yet God is God. And on the seventh time around, on the seventh day, they shouted, and the scripture says, and the walls fell flat. The walls fell flat. How are you going to penetrate that wall? Well, just give God time and the walls fall flat because God is God. And a miracle is a miracle. You know what I think of every time I read this story? I think of those walls that are built up in the lives of people you know that are impenetrable. I think of families that I know of of parents whose children, teenagers, have built these walls around them and it just doesn't seem like they get through to them anymore. How are you going to penetrate that wall that's built there? And I think of of people who have, with every brick stacked and every splash of mortar has been, erected in bitterness and hatred and they've built a wall that you just can't penetrate. Last Thursday I met with the board of directors of the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma and I was sitting there, you know, just kind of minding my own business and there's two guys sitting to my left and they were, you know, pastors and one of them was a farmer pastor uh, of the place where the other guy was now pastoring. And they were in conversation. You know, I don't normally, you know, listen to everybody's conversation, just the interesting one. So I was kind of leaning over there listening. And one of the guys, they were talking about a certain guy in this town. and, and, And this pastor said, You know, that man came to town 30 years ago hating everybody. And he still does. You see, he built up a wall that you just couldn't penetrate. Do you know anybody that, you know, you, that you're know lost and you've witnessed to and, and you've tried to reach and it just seems that they are beyond reach? And every time I read this, I, I remember that those husbands and wives who have somehow there's something happened between them and these walls have been erected and they just can't seem to touch one another anymore. There's... There's this impenetrable wall, but miracles are miracles. And God is God, and people are people, and God can bring those walls down. Sometimes we just need to believe that He's the only one who can. And I'm here to testify that I've seen God bring down walls between people that have separated them for years, and I have seen God tear down the walls that... Kids have erected between them and their parents. and I've seen those miracles. Have you not seen them? Back to Hebrews chapter 11. One more miraculous event. Seems kind of out of place, really. It's a battle of harlot. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish, perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. What about this woman? There's a strange aura that surrounds the life of Rahab, the harlot. She lived in a house on the wall, the scripture says. I think it means in the space between the first wall and the second. She married an, an Egyptian prince by the name of Pacha. He was an ambassador. Historians tell us, in the city of Jericho, an Egyptian prince, 40 years before this, when the exodus occurred, for some strange reason, the Egyptians, who there were many of them in the city of Jericho, left Jericho and went back to Egypt. But Pacha and his wife Rahab, stayed on and lived in the ambassador's residence on the wall of the city of Jericho. Now, now Rahab was a Jew, but Paca was an Egyptian. Sometime in this time, her husband died, and she resorted to harlotry. She knew the men of the city. They were well-known and notorious, but in her heart, She kept on believing or she kept hoping for deliverance, deliverance from her life of sin and deliverance from that bondage. And out of the blue, one day two spies from Israel came. Hey, I want you to notice. Would you turn to Joshua chapter two? I want you to see the story from the scripture. Chapter two, Joshua, verse one. Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now skip down to verse eight. Now, before they lay down, she came to them upon the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all of the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. What a statement of faith. Now, here was this harlot, but a Jew who said, God has given you this land. That's before they ever invaded it. What a statement of faith. Now, skip down to verse 21. Now, now remember in, the, in this time, she, she hid these men because, the leaders of the city of Jericho suspected they were there. They were in danger of their lives. And so she hid them there and she said, Now I'll make a deal with you. I'll hide you. But when you come in to the land to take it, you must promise me that you'll spare me and my household, my family. And they made that promise. By the way, let me say parenthetically something. I've got, I know time is running past, but. Um, let me say this, did, did you, when you look at this scripture, what this woman said was, she said, we saw you Israelites when you sent out the spies into the land and our heart melted within us when you did that because we knew that your God was God. Isn't that strange? When the Israelites sent out the spies, What they came back to say was, those folks are like giants over there, we like grasshoppers. When all the time, over here in the the land, they were scared to death of the Israelites and the Israelites were scared to death of the Canaanites. That's why uh, Peter Lord talks about the grasshopper complex. He said, the grasshopper complex is this, is that what we think about ourselves is what we think other people think about us. And the reason why they thought these folks in Canaan think we're grasshoppers is because that's what they thought about themselves. You get get my point? When all the time they were scared to death of them because they knew that God was God. Well, back to the story. I want you to turn to the 6th chapter. Now in verse 22. The 6th chapter And verse 22, And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house. Now the walls came down, and her house was on the wall, but her house was spared. Go into the harlot's house, and bring the woman and all she has out of there, as you have sworn to her. God is God, a miracle is a miracle. And I take it, as you read on, and I take it, verse 25, for example, that this woman got her life straight and uh, her life straightened out and she lived in Israel for the rest of her life. Well, let me give you the rest of the story as, as uh, Paul Harvey says it. In Israel, she married a man by the name of Salma. He was of the tribe of Judah. And to that union was born a son by the name of Boaz. Oh, by the way, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. I want to show you something thrilling. Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. We'll start reading in verse 3. Remember that Rahab the harlot, husband died. She marries a man by the name of Salma. And they have a son. His name is Boaz. Look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And to Judah, that is to the tribe of Judah, were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Read it right on out. Verse five, and to Salmon, in the Greek, he has Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed, Jesse, and to Jesse was born whom? Who? David. His great, great grandmother was a harlot Now, does this hurt your feelings? That when you trace this down on further, 14 generations later, Jesus is born whose 14 generation removed grandmother was a harlot. Isn't that amazing? And every time I read this, you know what I think about I think about people who've lost their reputation. Who have made mistakes in life. They wish they had never made. They can't bring them back. They've made terrible mistakes. They've lost their reputation. Oh, I've got good news for you. God is God and a miracle is a miracle and He can restore the lost reputation and He can return you to the place of usefulness even a harlot, the great-great-grandmother of the greatest king who ever lived. Isn't that good news? A miracle is a miracle. Three words of application. You need... Escape from pressure? Who doesn't? I was talking today with some people who said, man, I don't know how you stand the pressure you do. You need escape from pressure? Count on Him to get you through the sea. People are people. God is God. Miracle is a miracle. He'll get you through the sea. Is there someone you can't reach? It has this impenetrable defense mechanism that holds you off at arm's length, somebody you love. Wait on Him to penetrate the walls. For God is God, and a miracle's a miracle. You need your worth restored. You have this terrible guilt. Trust Him to reconstruct your life. For God is God and a miracle is a miracle. Let's pray together. Father, it's good to read the scripture and not be intimidated and know that you're the same God dealing with people that have the same problems. And we understand that the New Testament gives us the principles of the Christian life and the Old Testament gives us the pictures of the Christian life. And we have such marvelous pictures of how you take down walls and part seas, use harlots. It gives us hope, gives us life, gives us faith. And I pray now, Father, for these moments of, of invitation and decision. That if there are those who are struggling, Father, with needs, that they look to the Lord who is the God of deliverance, hope, and help. Because I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there are three invitations. One invitation tonight is for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of the new birth. God is the same. He brings new life and new birth. Would you not turn your lostness and your rebellion over to God? An invitation tonight for rededication of life. You just got so much pressure. And there's so many walls that just defeat you. You have such a feeling of unworthiness. Or maybe tonight to join the church as God would invite you to place your life in Christian fellowship with the people of this congregation. We'll just wait just for a moment and invite you to come while we stand to sing.